Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and who love the history of um, things. I'm sorry, I'm quite tired today. <laughs> and, um, the history of things and stuff. The history of things and stuff, um, which is a technical category. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> we normally like to start by talking about what we have been making and or baking recently, because we like to do those things historically and otherwise as well. So what have you been up to? I have been incredibly on brand. Oh? Um... It finally happened. I made my own chai masala mix. That's extremely on brand. <laughs> it's not quite finished because I want to put some vanilla pods in. So I need to get Ooh. some vanilla pods. Oh, but yum. I think it's pretty much there other than that. Okay. I am having is that a like, time. Is that a classic edition or is that a Liz Touch? So the thing about chai masala is that everyone kind of does their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like having a little bit of vanilla in, especially because my blend is quite ginger forward. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of a biscuity, gingerbready kind of vibe. Mm, balance the the fieriness. Mm. Oh, that sounds delicious. It's a good I look time. forward to trying it. <laughs> yeah, well... I don't know if I will be able to send you some, because I don't have a huge amount of it. Oh yeah, that's, that's fine. But ne- next time you come over, there will be some. Excellent. What have you been up to? Um, yeah, not a huge amounts. just working on various things. I got back to a little bit of quilting. Um, uh, my... My chilli pepper seeds have germinated. I'm very pleased about that. <laughs> I was worried, but um, it turns out those those couple of seedlings I had that I thought were peppers weren't because the actual peppers germinated and it's very obvious that they're the things that I wanted to come up. So um, that's good. I was, I was getting a bit worried, but it looks like uh, now it's warmed up a little bit here in the UK um, and we're having some Speak actual for spring. yourself, we had hail yesterday. <laughs> like full oh, yeah. on hail. Well, it's it's warmed up a little bit here in the south. <laughs> uh, we, we've got some spring temps and um, yeah, the, the, the chilies have awakened. So more on that to come. <laughs> And I've been taking my spinning on the bus, as you do. Um, Yeah, I was at a train station um, last week and there was a very cute toddler toddling around. Um, And this this child was like mesmerised by my tiny spindle. That is the best part of crafting in public. Yeah, it was adorable, and 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 I held out my my fibre and was like, "Look, you can stroke it if you want to," <laughs> and and they put out the tiny little finger and stroked it, and it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that that is me. That sounds like a magical experience. I'm very jealous. It was a magical experience for all parties. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then I had to go and get my train. Um, so I did not see what happened to the very cute tiny human. <laughs> but I hope that they had a good day. So what are we talking about today? I thought that I would talk about mangoes. I love a mango. For the very specific reason that we got some mango mochi and then I was like, huh. Mangoes. <laughs> Wonder what's the deal with them? What's the deal with mangoes? <laughs> An insight into the creative process of the Bread and Thread podcast. <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're in a Jerry Seinfeld, it's like, what's the deal with this? <laughs> well, I'm quite excited to find out what the deal with mangoes is. It sounds <laughs> interesting. 
What is the deal with mangoes? <laughs> the entire deal with mangoes. Um, so mangoes. I firstly, I just want to appreciate their Latin name. Okay. Um, Mangifera indica. Oh, that's good. Uh, Indian mango. Is what that is. Okay. Um. Th- uh. Thanks, Linnaeus. <laughs> So where does mango originate then? Um, so mangoes probably originated in the sort of Myanmar, Bangladesh, India region. Okay. Um, and they're actually the national fruit of India, Pakistan and the Philippines. And oh, lovely. the national tree of Bangladesh, which is quite cool. A lot of people like the mango. I can see why. It uh, shows up in a lot of poetry from the region, actually. There's, um... Oh, like can you read a poem about mangoes? <laughs> like, the, there's a lot that are much more, sort of, beautiful and, you know, poetic, for want of a better term. Um... But there's one, um, there's a riddle from um, medieval India. I don't know the exact date, um, somewhere between the 13th and 16th century. He visits my town once a year. He fills my mouth with kisses and nectar. I spend all my money on him. Who, girl? Your man? No, a mango. Oh, <laughs> saucy! Which <laughs> is is one that I see making the rounds every summer on the internet. Um, it's apparently written by um, Amir Kusrao, Kusrao, um, who is an Indian scholar who lived from 1253 to 1325. So presumably it's from some point between those two dates. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just oh. enjoy that. And it's it shows up as a symbol for love and home and things like that in a lot of more recent, um, especially Indian diaspora work. Okay. Which makes sense given those associations. Um, it was probably domesticated separately in both India and Southeast Asia. So there's actually two populations of mangoes, the Indian type and the Southeast Asian type, which is quite fun, I think. Ah, yeah, that's cool. Parallel mangoes. Parallel mangoes. Um, it's technically a stone fruit, uh, otherwise known as a droop. But it's like makes sense when you think about it because it does have that big seed in the middle but i think i think i think of it more as a, a seed than a stone yeah you say like stone fruit seeds. you think of like peaches and that whole family yeah like a proper pit but mm. it's definitely more sort of seedy looking despite being massive um interestingly the seeds are probably part of why it took so long to spread um they're what's known as recalcitrant what does that mean? It basically means that the seeds travel very poorly and can't be, like, if you dry them or, you know, later technology freeze them, they don't actually survive. Ah, okay. Um, avocados and cocoa are also recalcitrant seeds, which makes them a lot harder to spread, especially once you get to, um, mm. what's the word? transatlantic travel okay so they can't do the usual thing of like bobbing along until they come to some new land and and sprouting well they're even difficult to transport because if they can't survive drying then that means you have to transport them in the fruit yeah but that's a long way to travel with a mango (laughs) um they weren't actually introduced to 
the Americas until the 16th century, but they didn't really spread until the 18th century. And they didn't actually reach Florida until 1833. Um, mostly introduced by Portuguese and Spanish to their conquered areas of South America and the Caribbean. Okay. But Bra Brazil is where they really sort of took off in the Americas. Whereas we have references to them in South Asia going back to 4000 BC. Oh, wow. So th they've been around for a while. Yeah, the love affair with the mango is long-standing. Um, they pop up in uh, Buddhism and Jainism. They are the symbol of one of the Jain goddesses, Ambika. And they talk, there's um, stories of Buddha uh, meditating under mango trees. Oh. And, you know, there is a, a story in the Jataka tales um, of the monkey king being one of the incarnations of the Buddha and um, all the monkeys live in a tree which has the most delicious fruit imaginable. And I don't think the version I have specifies the fruit. I always imagined it as a mango. There's a good chance, honestly. Um, they, they're very big during pretty much every dynasty in India. But they're especially associated with the... Um, actually, the founder of the Mughal Empire, uh, Babur, who actually talks about how great mangoes are in surviving writings. Oh, wow. Like, everyone just loves mangoes. <laughs> I love that we know about just the favourite foods of people in, who, who lived so long ago. It's pretty great. And yeah, um, mango leaves and blossoms show up in various uh, Hindu festivals. Wait, I don't think I've ever seen a mango blossom. Let me just look that up. They are they are very pretty. Oh my gosh. W would you like to describe the mango blossom? Uh sure. Um let me let me find a good one. Oh, okay, so the mango blossom is they look quite small. I don't know what the actual scale is, but it's got like five petals uh, that are kind of narrow and pinkish and in the middle is, I, I guess that's the beginning of the fruit. It's kind of like round and green. <laughs> so I'm, not, I'm not very good at describing flowers apparently. <laughs> But it's it's pretty. It's kind of like a a little ball with the five petals like coming out of it. Would would you say that's accurate? <laughs> yeah. Um. And yeah, the flowers are quite small compared to the fruit, which is part of why it takes a hundred to a hundred and fifty days from pollination until the fruit is ready to be harvested. Oh wow! Depending on the variety of mango. There's quite a lot of flowers on this this sort of flowering head. Do all of those turn into mangoes or like do they hang in clumps on the tree? I'm looking at more pictures and it looks um, like Yeah, they they do grow in sort of bunches. Sorry, I'm having a learning experience here, it's great. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Um, and yeah, in um, Tamil Nadu, which is the southernmost state of India, um, mango, banana and jackfruit are referred to as the three royal fruits. Oh, I can see why. 
and obviously mangoes have a lot of uses. There's, you know, you can eat them. Uh, mango chutney is very popular. And you, it's mm. also becoming quite popular um, mango butter, which I actually do use in my soap blend as a moisturiser or an alternative to cocoa butter, which obviously there's a lot of ethical problems with cocoa production. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So is mango butter made from... It's the, the oils from the seed. Ah. Oh, so it's like a byproduct then, almost. Yeah, so people... You can use mango oil or mango butter in cooking, which is the the main sort of traditional use of it. Because, I mean, that's a giant seed, and there's quite a lot mm. of fat in it. You don't really want to waste it. But it has the same moisturising properties as cocoa butter. And some people actually use it in place of cocoa butter in production of chocolate. Oh. Which apparently lends a quite nice or mild flavour to it. Wow. I'd love to try that. But it's gaining popularity as an anti-aging treatment. Okay. Because it contains a lot of vitamins E and C and collagen, so it's meant to be very sort of reverse the effects of sunlight kind of deal. Right. Oh, vitamin A as well. It's just, it's chock full of stuff. <laughs> good fruit has good stuff in. It is, but interestingly, um... It's one of the more common fruit allergies. Yeah. So mango, especially the leaves and skin, um, contain a substance called um, urushiol, possibly pronounced like that. I did not do well at chemistry. Um, which is the same <laughs> allergen found in uh, poison ivy, poison oak, and poison sumac. Oh, sounds bad. Which can cause contact dermatitis and anaphylaxis in some people. What? Uh, there's also a substance called mangiferin, which can also be an allergen. You can get seriously injured by a mango. Yeah, there are, like, if you have a poison ivy allergy and live in a place where mango is produced, you can experience a lot of allergic symptoms just from the pollen and airborne mango oils from the flowers. Oh no, I'm so glad I'm not allergic to mango. Um, it's actually the most common cause of plant dermatitis in Hawaii. Oh. Yeah, it's one of the very few fruits where you really shouldn't eat the skin because it okay. contains so much of, of these substances that even if you're not actually allergic to it, it can still cause a lot of issues. Wow. I mean, the skin isn't particularly appetising anyway, so that shouldn't be... Well, no, but you know what people are like. I, I do. <laughs> yeah. Like, ah, this, this is probably good for me. No one eats it, but it's probably secretly really, really good for you and the doctors don't want you to know. People do be people. It's unfortunate. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like mangoes are incredibly healthy and incredibly delicious. Um, one thing I didn't know is that you use unripe mangoes to make um, mango chutney. Ah, okay, I didn't know that about chutney. I have a, a very good recipe for a um, Kenyan curry that uses unripe mango um, and is super delicious. That does sound good. Um, so you have drinks made from mango juice. You have um, 
there's a dish that is dal, mango and chilies. Ooh. And if you've ever been to an Indian restaurant, you probably come across um, mango lassi. Which is a delicious mango yogurt drink. But it's it's gaining popularity in Europe as kind of a not quite a superfood, but a this is definitely super super good for you kind of food. You know the what when there's kind of food fads, I would say we're having kind of a mango one at the moment. Okay. Hmm. And you can actually eat the seeds. All right. How? Uh, roasted. Mm. Uh, there's a U.S. Army Complete Guide to Edible Wild Plants states that you can roast and eat the mango seeds. I guess that makes sense if it's mostly like fat. Yeah, there is so much fat in mango seeds. And, you know, we've learned that the oils in the seeds are super, super good for you. So all that lovely anti-aging effect for the soldiers, I guess. (laughs) It's the the next uh, super soldier. (laughs) Just mango (laughs) powered. We're just munching on mango seeds. Um, I mean, I stand by mango butter as a nice for your skin thing at the very least because I have really bad eczema and mango butter is one of the ingredients, one of the main ingredients in the soap that I use that helps keep it under control. Oh, nice. doesn't really have a smell at all, though. Like, you'd think it would smell fruity. That's disappointing. You would want it to smell of mango, yeah. I think I've used a... um like body uh, cream before that had it in but they'd I guess added the mango smell back in mm-hmm. which was nice but it's disappointing that it doesn't just smell like that anyway yeah it is it's definitely gaining popularity as an alternative to cocoa butter and shea butter in beauty products mm. But the main thing that I want to talk about with mangoes is um, Majidong's mango cult. Okay, that's that's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> um, so this is something I recently learned about and I have to share it with you. Hey. <laughs> so... After, or I guess during the Cultural Revolution, there was an event called the Hundred Day War at uh, Tsinghua University, where there was, yeah, fighting between two different groups of Red Guards, which were basically people who were, yeah, like pro-Maoist student groups, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, the fighting got to the point where they were throwing sulfuric acid at each other. What? And he disbanded the Red Guards. And a, a bunch of workers that... Um, yeah, factory workers from Beijing were sent in to stop the conflict and... Um, yeah, six of them were killed. Oh. So when a few months later he received a gift of a box of mangoes from the foreign minister of Pakistan, okay. which we know are very culturally significant to Pakistan. Yes. Um, he gave them to those workers. And the, the fact that he, he didn't eat them himself, he gave them to the workers, was seen as this sign of his um what's the word his his empathy for the working class man of the peopleness exactly yeah um 
Instead of being eaten, though, a lot of them, because of this symbolism, were actually preserved in formaldehyde or wax. Oh, yeah, okay. And basically worshipped as a symbol of Mao. Okay. Including, like, using them in parades and punishing anyone who went, hey, this is kind of daft, as counter-revolutionary. Okay. Including a man was executed for saying that the preserved mango looked like a sweet potato. What on earth? Yeah. Um, and it got to the point where there were all sorts of like mango-themed products were seen as, you know, you can you buy these things and you get hold of these things to show your loyalty to Mao. This is this is the definition of that escalated quickly. Yeah, this is all within the 1960s. Oh my gosh. Bearing in mind that initial fight was 1968. <laughs> this is in the space of about two years. <laughs> yeah. Um... I just find it wild how quickly that kicked off. Um, but it then declined again very quickly, although Mao's wife did try to kind of keep it going. Oh, tried to use it as a propaganda tool. Yeah, because um, she was gifted a box of mangoes in 1974 by the Philippine First Lady. Okay. And actually created a propaganda film called The Song of Mangoes. Right. Um, she actually ended up being arrested. Interesting. Um, very quickly after the film was released, actually. I didn't really expect this to go from... Um, there was a conflict at this university during the Cultural Revolution to mangoes are worshipped as like a semi-divine symbol of loyalty to the state yeah um but yeah she was arrested not long after putting this film out for basically seeming insufficiently loyal to Mao his health was failing at this point and um there are a lot of things including potentially Basically, she's trying to hang on to power by reigniting this mango thing under her own steam. Okay. Appropriating the power of the mango. Exactly. Um, which, again, it was an incredibly powerful symbol in... 1968 when yeah the, the making of there's no other word for it I think but relics out of these mangoes including making wax replicas of these specific mangoes what dare I ask do we know where these mangoes are now um, I haven't managed to find out where most of them are, but I think a couple are in museums. Uh-huh. So you, you can still see these mangoes. The original. The original Mao mangoes. <laughs> a piece of world fruit history. So yeah, I I definitely wanted to share that with you. Yeah, that is certainly a tale. That, that is a chapter in the history of the mango that I was not expecting to learn about today. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that is, that is mangoes. That is amazing. I love them even more now, but, but not too much. You you won't be preserving a mango in wax. 
No. I'm not oh, yeah, gonna... the other thing, sorry, is that you can still get the... You can still buy these preserved mangoes for about 500 US dollars. They just kind of float around the Beijing um, antique market. <laughs> Although they are a little bit contraband. They're not supposed <laughs> to sell them to foreigners. <laughs> I'd expect so. Um, although some of the other mango cult objects, like you can get a print of a print of a mango from the time or one of the posters for like six US dollars, according to one article that I found in a collector's magazine. Don't get yourselves arrested for mango smuggling, folks. It's not worth it. <laughs> but yes, mangoes, I hope you enjoyed. Goodness. I, I know I did very much, and I kind of want <laughs> mango now. Yeah, me too. We do still have some mango mochi. I might have to snack on some when we finish recording. Mm, yeah, I'm thinking about I've got some dried mango left. Oh, lovely. Which I got because I thought it would be a healthy snack, but then I remembered that fruit is made of sugar. <laughs> Thing is, your body needs some sugar and it has That's so true. many other things. That's true. And will not fair, tolerate food shaming. It is delicious, so I've decided not to care. Yes. <laughs> I will say, actually, during the last heat wave, well, the last couple of heat waves, I've got these, like, bags of frozen mango pieces. Ooh. It's so refreshing and hydrating because there's so much water in mango. Yeah, that's then it also just tastes really good. Oh. Or you can just, like, because they go all soft after you defrost them, like, softer than they would have been in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then you blend them up. With just like a little bit of water and lemon juice. Ooh. It's so good. Speaking the lemonade. of blending mangoes. Oh, segue. Other things, including juices. Mm -hmm. That was a perfect segue <laughs> into our local larder, uh, which is a drink that can contain mango in one of its many versions. Is it perhaps some sort of cocktail? It is indeed. <laughs> it's been a while since I was, well, was going to say it's been a while since I did alcohol, but I did do mead a few episodes ago. It's been a while since I did alcohol on the local larder, mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah, I think I, I did one not long ago, but it's, it's definitely a while since we did a cocktail. Yeah, cocktails. It's, it's been a while. Um, and the one I'm going to be talking about today, uh, you may be familiar with from a very interesting nights out the world around. Um, you may, if you are a Terry Pratchett fan, be familiar with it. Oh, um... I know, I know. <laughs> Is it by any chance the banana nanana version? <laughs> I am going to talk about that one. It is the famous daiquiri. Yes. Um, and I, there is a lot more to this than meets the eye, honestly. Um, I was more familiar with the fruity versions. I thought that's what it was. Turns out the original daiquiri does not contain fruit. That is wild, because it's like... Daiquiris, to me, I think, are one of the very... They're firmly in the category of girly drink. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you crush up some berries in there and it goes all pink. Maybe it... put a little umbrella in it. Yeah, exactly. I put it in the category of, like, summertime juice... Alcoholic juice thing. Yeah, it's juice um, with booze. Yeah. <laughs> it's a slushy that's alcoholic. Um, Delicious rum slushy. What's not to love? Um, but not so. Oh, originally. <laughs> so, um, in contrast to a lot of iconic foods and drinks where there's a lot of different stories about the origin, um, this one we know about, and it's because the original recipe is recorded in the creator's journal. Amazing. Which is exciting. Um, 
And the original creator is generally agreed to be uh, a man called Jennings Stockton Cop. I'm sorry, can we just have that name again? That's beautiful. Jennings Stockton Cox. Excellent. <laughs> Which is exactly the kind of ma- name that you would imagine the guy who invented the daiquiri would have. It truly is. Um, now... This was invented, um, generally believed in the 1890s. Um, It's quite an old cocktail then. It is quite an old cocktail. Um, I I guess in one of the sort of earlier ones in the general popularity of cocktails. Um, Although it didn't become uh, extremely famous until uh, after the 1920s. Um, Oh, the cocktail boom. Indeed. And I'm just trying to find the original. There it is. I can't see the date. Um, But yes, um, so Jennings Stockton Cox was an American mining engineer who travelled to Cuba to to work in iron ore mining. Mm -hmm. And he was part of uh, the exploratory expeditions uh, for iron mining. And the daiquiri is named after the town of daiquiri, or I may not be pronouncing this right, um, because I know the cocktail as daiquiri, but I don't know how the original name of the town is pronounced, but it is spelled the same, D-A-I-Q-U-I-R-I, and this town is in southeastern Cuba, um, and was a mining town. And so Jennings Stockton Cox, (laughs) I'm going to continue saying his full name because it's wonderful. Such a good name. (laughs) Uh, Was working here. And the workers in the iron mine received a monthly ration of Cuban rum, which was Bacardi. And we mentioned Bacardi in our episode on rum way Mm -hmm. back. Um, So this was the ration they were receiving. And now there's a few stories about how he came to invent this cocktail. Um, I should mention that a classic daiquiri uh, includes only Cuban rum, lime juice, and sugar. Um, And it can be apparently either sugar or sugar syrup. Okay. So very sort of fresh and, and sweet, but not too sweet. Sweet and sour, I suppose. Um, which sounds really nice. I've never had a classic daiquiri, but I'd, I'd really like to try one now. Um, it does sound intriguing, because that's a very sort of grog-adjacent kind of recipe. <laughs> yeah, apparently it was quite similar to a, a, a drink that was quite popular in Cuba at the time, called the Canchanchara. Um, but the daiquiri is a slightly different blend involving sugar. And one of the stories about how he came to invent it is that he noticed that uh, local employees at the the mine um, would enjoy mixing some rum with their coffee, which is an interesting combination. And, and began to experiment with um, mixing rum with other things himself. Sorry, I love the implication that it didn't occur to him before then to, like, combine liquids. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you know, it was it was out in the sticks and the 1920s hadn't got going yet. So, you know, might yeah. might not have occurred to him. There is a picture of this man. Oh, you know I need <laughs> to see the picture of this man. Does does he look how his name implies? He looks exactly how you would expect. Um we we need this... to post this picture when the episode comes out. Oh, yeah, this this picture will fully be up. Um, I'm sending it to you now, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, golly. <laughs> this man has an air about him that you only find in late Victorian... late Victorian <laughs> middle-class men. He's wearing a very singular pair of spectacles. Yeah, the and a bow tie. Bridge, the bridge of the nose goes above his eyebrows. Like yes. Um, he is. I guess I. You might say Natalie dress with a facial expression that says, "What of it?" <laughs> um. So another of these stories, uh, that his granddaughter apparently tell told, is that uh he was having a party. And entertaining his guests and ran out of gin, which oh, no. is a crisis. <laughs> In the 1890s, it's a crisis. <laughs> but he did have rum. Uh, but of course, one cannot serve one's guest neat rum. Well, no. Uh... What would society think? <laughs> and so apparently, he started last minute experimenting to try and come up with some kind of concoction that he could serve to his guests. Um, that I, would be I know. Sophisticated. I know people who've done similar as students. <laughs> yes, <laughs> been to those par- those sorts of wine as a mixer kind of parties. <laughs> How many things can you combine in a mug? <laughs> <laughs> this will probably do something. <laughs> my my wine in a mug days are mostly over, but occasionally you're in a pinch. I like them mostly. <laughs> Anyway, however it was uh, created, the original recipe survives in his journal and it is written down as juice of six lemons, six teaspoons of sugar, six Bacardi cups of Carta Blanca, that's the rum, two small cups of mineral water and plenty of crushed ice. Shake well. So is a Bacardi um, cup just like a special cup for rum? I am not sure. Like if we wanted to recreate this, what is what is the volume of a Bacardi cup? Uh I think it's it's like a measure cup that was produced by the company. That's as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, it looks like it. So it might be comparable to a jigger? Um, as a cocktail measure, I'm not sure, but I, I think, I think that's what it is. Uh, yeah. So interesting that the actually original one uses lemons, whereas I've found most recipes seem to specify limes. That is interesting. Um, but anyway, so apparently this drink became fairly popular, sort of in the local area, and then a few years later, um. Jennings Cox was visited by uh, an American uh, naval captain and he served the cocktail. The captain loved it. The captain took it back to the famous Army and Navy Club um, and it became a fixture there, but it didn't really take off until uh, the 1920s when Prohibition came on the scene in the US. And by this point the daiquiri had become quite popular in Cuba and the great and the good of uh, North America started travelling to Cuba to drink alcohol and there were introduced to the daiquiri. Um, From there it becomes quite popular in hotel bars um, after the end of Prohibition Um, and we have its inclusion in cocktail books from uh, fashionable hotels like the Wardoff Astoria 
and the Savoy. Um, and apparently there was a uh, bar in Cuba um, called The Florida, which claimed to make 10 million versions of daiquiri. That I would like to see. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how valid this claim was. <laughs> um, there is an extract from one of these books that the recipe was published in, um, which begins with the sentence, The moment had arrived for a daiquiri. It was a delicate compound. It elevated my contentment to an even higher pitch. That's beautiful. <laughs> um, so this sounds like a romance novel. Yeah. Uh, one of the more famous people associated with the daiquiri is Ernest Hemingway. Who... I've heard of him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he spent many years living in Cuba. Um, and the story goes that he had stopped into the uh, the Florida, or by this, this time the Floridita bar in Havana. Um, and he noticed the bartender mixing daiquiris. And so he tried it and supposedly said, not bad, but he preferred them with no sugar and double the rum. Of course. And this version was therefore named the Hemingway daiquiri. Or sometimes the Hemingway special, um, which now often includes maraschino cherry liqueur um, in place of the sugar, which sounds like an interesting addition. So when, when does fruit start coming into it? Is that a 20s edition? Um, yeah, I, I was trying to find out about this. Um, and it's tricky. <laughs> um, the daiquiri did remain very popular in America. Um, but the additions of fruit, um, so for example, strawberry daiquiri, which is quite well known, or the banana, the banana banana daiquiri, um, <laughs> favoured by Terry Pratchett's death and many others, um, which involves adding banana, and so you add your fruit and then you whiz it all up in a blender with the, the ice so it becomes sort of a alcoholic slushy. Um, Yes. Um yeah, it's it's difficult to say. Um although I I would imagine it some happened sometime um during the mid 20th century. Um because I've only read about the sort of original daiquiri <laughs> being served and like catching on in America. Um, and then at some point, I suppose, it being uh, Cuban in origin, got identified as like a, a tropical drink. And Yeah, I'm, I am now wondering if it's got any connection to tiki. Okay. I'll have to do some investigating, maybe do an episode on tiki. Oh, yeah, that would be great, because <laughs> I am not familiar with that at all. Does it involve fruit? Well, it's the whole... The, the kind of big cocktails that you get in... Slightly uncomfortably themed bars. I will, I will report back. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but yeah, either way, that is, uh, that is the origins of the daiquiri, which seems to have fallen sadly out of fashion uh, in more recent decades. Probably due to being associated with being an alcoholic slushy. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I guess also if you if you're mostly because I would say most people drink cocktails in bars that make them at quite high volume. I think anything mm. that involves a blender is gonna 
not be particularly popular with people who just want to sell as many cocktails as possible as quickly as possible. Yeah, I guess. And it involves sort of fresh fruit, which um, could be difficult to get or you might not have any on hand. Or... Mm. This is my theory anyway. <laughs> like bl- Blenders add a lot of work. They do. I'd love a banana daiquiri right now, though. <laughs> Can't wait for summer. Oh, we have a anyway. blender now. Maybe this year's Eurovision party we'll have to have. <gasps> Daiquiris all round! <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you very much for listening. Um... We can be found at many places on the internet. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Bread and Thread, where you will find teasers for upcoming episodes, um, pictures of things we talk about on the podcast, like Jennings Stockton Cox, who, believe me, you need to see to believe. Yeah, I um, hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're also on Tumblr with similar content and if you want to support us and join our lovely discord server and get monthly recipes then you can go to patreon.com slash bread and thread thank you for listening and we will see you next time we didn't do the email oh no (laughs) you you can can email us (laughs) You can email us on breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com um, if you would like to suggest an episode topic, uh, let us know what your favourite kind of daiquiri is uh, or just tell us how much you like mangoes. Please do not try to sell us any preserved Mao mangoes. Um, <laughs> we will deny all knowledge. <laughs> so, and thank you for listening. And we will see you next time.